Just, just, words. just words. Finding the line between free speech and protecting the vulnerable. You can't say or do anything anymore, otherwise you'll be dragged off to the law courts. Why is this the pressing issue of our time? Welcome to a special edition of Just Words. I'm your host, Nick Healy, and today we're bringing you something uh, a little bit different. We have a live panel in the 2SER studio, also on phone and Skype, and we're going to dissect and discuss the 18C inquiry report that was tabled in Parliament late yesterday afternoon. Now, 18C, of course, for those of you still playing at home, it's a part of our Racial Discrimination Act that makes it unlawful to offend, insult, humiliate, or intimidate somebody because of their race. Now, this section of the Discrimination Act has received an extraordinary amount of attention over the past six years. In fact, some argue that the debate has even transcended what this section actually does. Of course, others will argue that the provision has become an icon for those concerned about the erosion of free speech in Australia, and that the removal of Section 18C has become the new culture wars for those who feel that political correctness and progressive thinking have gone too far. One thing's for sure, 18C is groaning under the weight of these debates, And uh, look, we're going to add to the analysis today with the help of our expert panel. Now, I'm joined by Professor of Law at Melbourne University, Adrian Stone, the Director of Policy at the Institute for Public Affairs, Simon Breeny, and Dr. Linda Tucker from the Redfern Legal Centre. Well, let's dive straight in, shall we? Yesterday, the Freedom of Speech in Australia Committee handed down their report into 18C. There were 112 days since the date of referral to the end of the inquiry. The committee had had members from the ALP, Greens and Liberal Party. They'd heard evidence in every capital city of Australia. Over 400 submissions were made and we had three months of public hearings. And what on earth do we have to show for it at the end? Uh, Professor Stone, what's your take on the report? I guess my take on the report is there's a lot of consensus around one matter, which is that there's scope to um, address the way the Human Rights Commission deals with these complaints to make sure that they can be dealt with in a more timely manner and in a manner that's uh, that's fair to both complainants and respondents, but that there isn't really a consensus around 18C itself. Um, that there doesn't seem to be an emerging consensus that it, it needs amendment or if it did, what that amendment should be. Simon, what about you? Well, I think it's disappointing. I think um, there's a continuum when we talk about potential reforms to Section 18C and in Recommendation 3 in the report, they've listed a range of what potential reforms could take place. Um, One of those reforms, which is a pretty obvious one, I think particularly if you're going to say that no change should be made to the provision is the repeal of the provision. At one end, you've got let's make no change at all. At the other end, you've got um, full repeal. And the fact that that hasn't been included, I think, is a real failure of the committee to consider the range of views that have been put to them. Um, you know, I'm, I've been one of those who's been pretty vocal about requesting that the parliament consider the repeal of Section 18C. Um, others have done the same. Um, and the fact that that's not been included as an option for repeal uh, for, for reform, I think, is is quite disappointing. Linda, what's your side of the fence? Well, I uh, agree, I think, with the approach that uh, Adrienne's uh, referred to here, that you've got the reference to perhaps procedural approaches for the Human Rights Commission. I think it's always worth exploring that and also recognising that the Human Rights Commission uh, does a huge job with regard to educating the community. And I'm glad that the report at least opens with that, addressing racism in Australian society, and that they just be allowed 
to do their job as best they can. So I think the procedural responses are mostly helpful. With regard to the substance, uh, the recommendations, it's it's really hard to know what they were talking about, you know, to say the range of proposals that had the support of at least one member. Well, fantastic. That's a high bar, isn't it? So, you know, the, my concern is that as you opened this program with a reference to how much effort has gone into this with regard to this provision. And, uh, you know, we're talking about a provision that has very little litigation attached to it. We've had a couple of high-profile cases. If we had this amount of effort directed to every law where you had the occasional case that it concerned a small number of people, we'd spend our lives in parliamentary inquiries. So I actually think that this sort of melange of recommendations with, as I said, a very low threshold of only one person being involved suggests that uh, they didn't really know what they wanted with this. And I'd have to say that all of that money and effort perhaps could have gone into educating people and ensuring the Commission has sufficient funding to get on with its job. Well, as Linda alluded to, the committee did make 22 recommendations in this report, but stopped short of making any clear recommendations on the changes that they wanted to see in 18C after they failed to reach consensus. Instead, for, uh, they put forward what you could really call a shopping list of options, ranging from leaving the section unchanged to replacing the words offend, insult and humiliate with the word harass. Now, this puts PM Malcolm Turnbull in a rather difficult position because without a consensus, it's now up to him to decide whether to pursue any changes. And what are we likely to see happen here? I mean, Simon, over to you. Do you think this is a big test of Turnbull's leadership? Yeah, I I think it is. I think there's probably really no doubt in most people's minds about the fact that this is a really significant issue for the Liberal Party. Um, In the Liberal Party's DNA um, is a commitment or ought to be a commitment to those liberal, liberal democratic traditions of freedom of speech and freedom of conscience. And um, that's really why this issue has become such a totemic issue for conservatives and for liberals in Australia, because Section 18C represents one of the most significant restrictions on freedom of speech. And I think some of the very high profile cases um, that we've seen in recent times have brought a lot of attention to the provision, have brought attention to freedom of speech in a more general sense. Um, And that's why we've got this parliamentary inquiry. Look, I, I think... Um, Malcolm Turnbull should feel comfortable moving down the path of saying, let's get rid of those first three words, offend, insult, humiliate. That's where most of the problems of Section 18C probably lie and replace that uh, with, with the word intimidate. I think, uh, sorry, with the word harass. I, I think that's a, that's a relatively sensible move and a, and a step forward. Um, but, you know, the, it, a lot of the time we kind of have this debate as if there's no state laws or Commonwealth uh, laws against harassment and intimidation and threats. I mean, there's any number of, of laws at both the state and the Commonwealth level that address that sort of conduct. And um, one of the things that I think is, is forgotten, not just in the 18C debate, but in, in parliamentary debates um, more broadly, is the idea that there's an existing body of law. Um, we're not working from a position of there being nothing and the parliament needing to create something. There's a huge body of law out there, and often I think people forget what actually is, is there, um, whether it's being used appropriately, whether the police know um, about particular laws and when an investigation should take place, um, whether members of the public have that knowledge as well. And I think that's kind of the thing that, that a lot of politicians need to to, um, to be aware of, particularly when looking at reforming Section 18C. 
Adrian, would that be your take on it? Do you think state laws should be enough? Um, I've got a couple of responses uh, to what Simon just said. Um, the first thing to know about state laws, of course, is they wouldn't apply to Commonwealth offices. The second thing about most of the laws that we have in Australia that currently address things like harassment is that they're criminal laws, so they're quite different um, in the sense, in one sense, they're, they're stronger, right? It's stronger to have the criminal law on your side than a civil complaints mechanism like Section 18C. But it does mean that you can't bring your own complaint. You'd need to have um, a, a, a body like the police, a prosecutorial body, bring it on your behalf. And, of course, then you're subject to criminal standards of proof. So I think the criminal law um, around harassment is, is quite a different body of law. Um, and so I do think that Section 18C does something different. The debate is about whether what it does is good, but it certainly, I think, is different. And just on the question of um, replacing offend, insult, humiliate with harass, I think that would be a very significant change to Section 18C. Um, it's often said that 18C needs a higher threshold. Um, it's not actually clear to me that harass would do that, but what it clearly would do, I think, is narrow it. So I think the likely interpretation of harass would be that it applied to repeated and very personal attacks directed at an individual. Much of what Section 18C covers doesn't have that character. So, for example, one of the leading cases, um, Jones and Tobin, is about Holocaust denial um, that um, was propagated through a, through a website. Now, that doesn't take the form of a repeated personal attack on a particular person. Uh, nonetheless, it was recognised by um, the federal court to constitute a very serious form of um, conduct with very serious consequences. So I suspect that if we go down the route of harassment, we will lose the capacity of Section 18C to cover that kind of material. Um, and secondly, I, I do think that 18C provides a different mechanism at the moment because it's a civil complaints mechanism that can be conciliated in the Commission rather than a criminal law. Well, Committee Chair Ian Goodenough has said that he was in a very big favour of changing Section 18C. He argues that it's not the role of the government to, and I'll quote, police petty social misdemeanours. Is that really what 18C does, Linda? Well, clearly not. And there, with reference to judicial consideration of the provision, and this was referred to quite a lot in the inquiry and has been picked up in the report, that uh, then-Justice Keefe, obviously now our Chief Justice, uh, made reference to what would be the interpretation. And it was, when we talk about offend, we're talking about profound and serious effect. So it has been dealt with, and we're not talking about some petty slight. Uh, so you've already got that interpretation of it. Uh, and also that the provision refers to the same terms that are in the Sex Discrimination Act with regard to sexual harassment. So offence or to, to cause offence is uh, exists in a lot of provisions and is seen as a, something of serious and profound effect. So it's it should be seen, I think, for... Um, for having considerable effect on an individual. And clearly, the point of the provision is that that effect on an individual is also felt throughout a community and it has much broader societal consequences. So the idea of narrowing it, in fact, with reference to what Ian was referring to there with our concerns about freedom of speech, clearly that type of 
language that causes profound and serious effect on an individual or community has an effect on the freedom of expression of that community. It is broadly recognised as having a very chilling effect on uh, particularly the most vulnerable members of our community. So when we talk about freedom of speech, yes, let's have a proper debate about how freedom of expression is clearly curtailed by many people who have to censor their own behaviour because they are being attacked for expressing their own identity. Well, uh, Goodenough actually went on to say, and I'll quote again, we are dealing with offences at the lower end of the spectrum of insult and offend, which do happen occasionally in the course of social interactions. Surely the Human Rights Commission and ATNC have a broader remit than just that. Adrian? Well, I, I, I just have to say I just can't see... I think there's a very widespread set of misunderstandings about Section 18C um, and I think it really is important just to drive home again and again that it's been interpreted in a way that applies only to very serious conduct that has a serious effect uh, and also that there are a very extensive set of defences available. Uh, so, you know, you can have an argument about whether it struck the balance quite right but I think it's absolutely important to understand that this is not a section that is directed at allowing people to take actions because their feelings have been hurt. It needs to go well beyond that. And if you look at the case law on Section 18C, you'll see that the conduct is really of quite a different character. Um, you know, for example, you know, uh, sort of serious Holocaust denial being one of the most prominent cases. Um, it's, it's conduct of that nature that Section 18C um, is, uh, is directed to. So we should have a discussion about it, but the idea that it involves the, pol the policing of people anti-social slights, I think, is not a fair analysis of the provision. Simon, I mean, do you think there is a giant misunderstanding around 18C? Um, I think that there's the chief problem with the debate around Section 18C is um, although we, when you look at the words that have been used by judges in interpreting Section 18C, they talk about things like profound and serious effects. Um, a lot of people think, well, does that really match up with what we've seen Section 18C do? Does, does, do those words match up with the kind of conduct that we've seen, for instance, the QUT students caught up in a four-year, almost a four-year legal saga? Um, and I think most people would say, well, no, it doesn't quite match up. And so I think that's, that's one of the issues we've got. And I think the legal community gets caught up in this sort of, this sort of um, problem all the time, partly because language is ambiguous. I mean, um, we're dealing here with, uh, with uh, the fact that um, profound and serious um, effects to one person might mean something totally different to another. And so that, I think, is one of the issues that we're dealing with in the Section 18C debate. And I think the reason why people are unhappy with Section 18C is because the response to a case like QUT is to say, well, that case was thrown out. Now, that's true that the case was thrown out, but the only reason that a complaint could be made in the first place, the only reason why these kids could be dragged through a one-year negotiation with the university first and then another year with the Human Rights Commission conciliation process and then um, a federal court uh, trial is because of the existence of Section 18C and, in particular, the existence of those words offend, uh, insult and humiliate setting a very low threshold for complaints. And, I, you know, I, I don't really hold it against the, the, um, the Commission or Gillian Triggs for saying that this case had substance. Um, a lot of people have said, well, let's give the Commission more powers to dismiss vexatious complaints. That wouldn't have helped the QUT3 because um, in that case the President of the Commission decided that there was substance to the claim. 
fair enough, because 18C sets such a low threshold that uh, really you don't have to do too much to, to meet it. And so that's why we've got Alex Wood caught up for a comment on Facebook where um, he said QUT fighting segregation with segregation. That was enough for, for him to be dragged before the courts. Um, and I think this is the problem that, that a lot of Australians have and why we're seeing this growing backlash against this provision um, and why so many people now are in favour of reforming Section 18C. Well, Simon said, I mean, a, a considerable amount of the inquiry's focus was around the QUT case, as well as the Bill Leake case, two very high-profile ones. But, of course, as we just said, QUT's case was summarily dismissed. Bill Leake case was withdrawn. I mean, are these cases then the exception and not the rule when it comes to 18C? Linda? Well, I think that there has been an extraordinary amount of... Uh, um rhetoric about these two cases and and of course you need to take seriously the impact on respondents uh, but uh, Julian Trigg's uh, comments with regard to the QUT case was that the commission itself only dealt with that over a matter of a few months and most matters are dealt with uh, its own report indicates it takes 3.8 months to deal with a case and that's actually pretty quick um, when you compare it to you know sort of other areas of dispute resolution um, and that the judge uh, in the QUT case actually didn't say you know at first blush that the matter should be struck out it was on the hearing of evidence so it's there can be a number of steps before you could determine whether a case was hopeless or not. And it was certainly not at the, at the point at which it was before the commission. And the judge actually made those comments as well. And so, you know, there's the idea that this case is sort of this, you know, you know, you know, flies up this flag that therefore, you know, a whole law that's been in place for 20 years should be changed. You know, again, I go back to my original point. If every time that you had a case that perhaps indicates there's some flaws in the law, well, you know, we, we might as well just throw everything out. And, and instead, it doesn't look at the enormous number, like by the vast majority of cases that go to the Commission are dealt with by dispute resolution and they go no further. So clearly there is a function there that is being undertaken in good faith. Clearly if there are some there are procedural points that can assist the Commission in dealing with uh, the way it, it uh, undertakes its approach in this in, with regard to these matters, then that's great, do that. But yes, referring to one or two cases and say, let's just throw the lot out, it would be an extraordinary way for us to undertake our legislative processes. Well, let's keep talking about the Commission for a second, because obviously a lot of the report's recommendations uh, did look at how we could improve the way the Human Rights Commission handles complaints under the Racial Discrimination Act, even recommending that the Commission be given the ability to knock back vexatious claims at an earlier stage, or even those claims that have little chance of success. I mean, has the AHRC been failing and are the, are the suggested changes good ones or even necessary? Adrian? So can I just come in and say, I just, I, I feel, if you don't mind, to say something about uh, the, sta the threshold of Section 18C. The comments that Simon made earlier confuse two things. One is the legal threshold for establishing a breach of Section 18C, which is not offend, insult, humiliate or intimidate barely understood. It's interpreted to be a high standard. And the second is the threshold to allow, pr allow commission proceedings to continue in the commission. Now that's a different standard. Um, and um, the problem with the QUT, that the QUT case revealed is that 
that can, proceedings can go on in the Commission for a very long time, even though they might not meet that legal standard overall. Okay, so it was eventually dismissed, but there was this long process that was very onerous for the respondents. Now, though recommendations in the report, I think, are a set of sensible recommendations to deal with what the QUT replace reveals to be the problem, which is the length of p potential length of proceedings in the Commission and not the legal standard set by Section 18C. And so the range of, of um, uh, recommendations there, which include things like an earlier uh, a, a what you might call an accept or reject stage to the Commission's hearings, a, a very early determination uh, relating to the legal merits, bringing forward the point at which the complainant needs to make, uh, to give all the factual detail on which the, uh, the complaint is based, ensuring that the respondents are properly informed, uh, that there's a proceeding afoot in which they're involved. All of those things seem to me to be really important. Um, but and they are an important response to the QUT case. Well, let's talk about sort of uh, how we assess 18C cases, and especially the ones that do progress to federal court. I mean, a judge is asked to apply an objective test and imagine if, uh, I think the term is, a reasonable member of the relevant group would be offended, insulted, humiliated, or intimidated. Now, uh, Ian Goodenough, chairman of the committee, of course, said in his speech to parliament yesterday that a disconnect exists between intellectuals in the human rights industry and the proverbial person in the pub or in the suburbs. And one idea that they have flagged in the report is to change the objective test from reasonable member of the relevant group to reasonable member of the Australian community. Adrian, again, would that make a difference? Uh, potentially, I think it would. I think it... Um, uh, so, to, so two things. One is judges make determinations about what reasonable people in the community uh, think about all kinds of issues. So it's not beyond them to do so. Um, the way the test is currently structured is you would say, what would a reasonable person who's the member of the group that's been targeted think? That seems to me to be a sensible approach because it's congruent with the harm. If the harm you want to prevent through this legislation is the harm that you suffer because um, you're a member of a minority racial group that's that's been subjected to some kind of hateful um, speech, then you want to actually understand what it's like to be a member of that community. I think, for example, um, it's difficult for a reasonable member of the Australian community to understand that. You know, it's just if you think about, for example, certain kinds of insults that are, are, are levied of people of Jewish descent, they don't necessarily appear to the reasonable member of the community to be offensive, but... Jewish people who understand the history of what has been visited upon them understand them in a particular way. So while I agree it shouldn't be subjective in the sense that we ask the complainant, were you actually offended? Because as Simon rightly points out, that can vary from individual to individual. I do think that the, the, the proper way to do this is to say, what would a reasonable person who's a member of the group that's been targeted, uh, how would they respond uh, to the speech? Look, civil so I would disagree with that, with that suggestion by the chair. Civil law often uses the uh, fictional character of the man on the Bondi tram as a kind of a reasonable person. Uh, Gillian Triggs suggested in her testimony to the inquiry that the fictional legal person could be the person on the Manly Ferry. I don't know, Ian Goodenough took a bit of aim at that. Uh, in our fourth episode that's coming out of Just Words, we even consider if the reasonable test is the person on the Penrith train. Uh, Linda, what sort of stuff do you see on the coalface where you are in Redfern Legal Centre? Well, first of all, I'd like to say I really agree with Adrian's comments um, with regard to the community. I think you'd really be abrogating the point of 18C if you stepped outside of the community. And it is so difficult. Like, I am 
a white, middle-class, educated, you know, Australian. I'm in a person of enormous privilege. The clients I see, you know, even as a community lawyer, um, but the clients that I see at Redfin and have seen, in, you know, throughout my career in discrimination law, the the impact on them as an individual, and you can imagine as someone from that community suffering uh, those daily, or you know. Or, you know, often daily slights and impacts on them at you know at, at every stage, uh, it has this incredible visceral effect, and it is very difficult to step outside of that if you're not a member of that community, as Adrian was saying, where you see that whole context behind those comments. So, yeah, so our clients, I've had uh, clients uh, who have suffered. Uh, racial hatred, it is an incredibly difficult uh, step for them to take to make a complaint. Uh, It takes great bravery and resilience to step up, you know, to go head to head with the perpetrator of that offence. And so, you know, we see many people coming in. Very few actually will take that step to make the complaint. And as we've seen from the statistics, there there are not actually that many complaints made um, because they are suffering that, you know, continuing attacks on their character. So it takes enormous resilience and strength to step up and do anything about those attacks on them and their community. Well, I mean, the other question that sort of comes up a lot when we talk about 18th is, do we really care? I mean, uh, Conservatives, including Cory Bernardi, former Liberal Senator, now Independent, has been a vocal supporter of Changing 18C and was very, very quick to jump on Twitter and criticise the report, calling it process and bu- uh, bureaucracy, uh, no real defence of freedom of speech and a huge fail. Um, uh, look, as Linda was just suggesting, there have actually only been 71 complaints under 18C made in the last year. Barnaby Joyce has openly questioned the push by the Coalition to Change 18C. He says voters just don't care about the Racial Discrimination Act. Simon, what's your take on that? Oh, well, I think um, Barnaby Joyce's comments um, are just clearly wrong. I mean, there, there are any number of members of Parliament who you can speak to who will say that this issue is raised with them on a daily basis. Um, but more to the point, um, I think what's really interesting is polling. I mean, polling gives us a, a better indication of what the general population thinks about a particular issue. And um, polling that we commissioned from Galaxy Research towards the end of last year showed that um, on the general question of freedom of speech, uh, 95% of Australians agree that free speech is either important or very important, an issue to them. Um, and on the specific question of one of the proposals that's been put forward in the last few months in the debate around Section 18C, removing the words offend and insult, um, 48% of Australians were in favour of that. Now, um, I think that's really significant because I wouldn't expect most members of the Australian public to really know you know, the, the, the ins and outs of a law like Section 18C. If you speak to most people about Section 18C... Um, you know, using that that phrase, using those words, I think most people, you know, they, they don't they don't look at the law in the way that that a lot of us who are involved in this debate every day do, and so they're not really familiar with terms like that. But if you explain it to them in terms of uh, what the practical effect of the law is, um, whether it should be unlawful to offend someone uh, on the grounds of race. Um, most Australians at that point will will engage with the question. And and we found that 48% of people were in favour of that change. So I think that's really significant. And, um, you know, for for Barnaby Joyce to say that this isn't an issue that matters or it's not an issue that's raised with him, um, I I think um, gets the question completely wrong. Um, I I think that people do care about freedom of speech. And 
Um, I think Australians do care about freedom of speech and they, they um, will react, I think. You know, we've seen a reaction in other parts of the world to the idea that government has a role to tell you what to think and what to say and um, I think that we should be very wary of that. I, I think that Section 18C is um, a very significant problem and um, one of the things that I think we, we um, need to do more of is embrace the idea of free speech and embrace the idea that rather than uh, the Human Rights Commission or a judge in the Federal Circuit Court telling people that they, what they've said is, is, um, uh, is, is, is bad and, and you know, it's outside what's socially acceptable, I think we can take it upon ourselves as individuals to do that. I see no problem in um, people like you and I telling people when they've said the wrong thing and why they've said the wrong thing, and I think it's much more powerful to do that. It has a much stronger educative um, function when members of civil society actively participate in the process, actively participate in a public debate rather than um, handing those decisions um, and that public debate off to state officials. Well, Simon, uh, on this note, opposition leader Bill Shorten has said that the push for change is a vendetta driven by prejudice, uh, as the IPA has been one of the groups spearheading the opposition 18C. What would be your response to Bill Shorten? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I always find it... Um, I mean, I, I don't think when anyone says something like that, they actually mean it. I mean, I, I don't think that anyone um, believes that the intentions behind public policy changes that any individual or organisation... Um, promotes or pushes for um, are in fact that that ill-intentioned. Um, I, I don't assume that about anyone else in the public debate, and I'd be surprised if Bill Shorten in fact believes that about the IPA. Um, but I think what he is getting at is this idea that changes to Section 18C might send a message. Um, now, I, I agree, and I think that the message that changing Section 18C would send is that the Parliament is serious about defending freedom of speech. It's serious about our liberal, liberal democratic traditions um, and it wants for a stronger civil society to take responsibility for the shape and, uh, and space that we give to public debate. Um, I think that's a really, really important message and if the parliament does make changes to Section 18C, as I hope they do, um, I, hope, I hope that they're explicit about the, the, the signal that they are seeking to send. A lot of people will say, well, you know, the, the changes to Section 18C will send a signal. Well, um, we can determine what that signal is. Um, it's up to us to be explicit about it and let's be explicit about the fact that we believe in freedom of speech and we believe in Australians to be able to make decisions on behalf of themselves and to be able to make decisions about what other people say and whether um, they are bigoted or whether what they've said has any value. Um, I, I, I trust Australians, I trust individuals to be able to participate in um, in that debate, and I think that's a far healthier way of doing it than um, than, than uh, handballing these issues to to the state. I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. Well, prior to the release of the of the report, sorry, uh, coalition MPs were floating the notion of a truth defence on the grounds that this would protect free speech in defamation cases and could work on, as a check on complaints under the Racial Discrimination Act. Now, recommendation three of the report suggests amending Section 18D to also include a truth defence similar to that of defamation law alongside the existing 18D exemptions. Adrian, how would this work? It's a little mysterious to me. There's not a lot of detail, um, but I suspect it would be the way of augmenting the defences in Section 18D to ensure that truth is a defence. I have to say that I think uh, that my first reaction to that, although I'd want to see more detail, is that it is um, a good potential amendment. I don't think it's one that would make a big difference. I don't think that there are 
I think that most cases of serious uh, racial abuse that um, Section 18C deals with involve the propagation of um, either statements that don't contain any kind of truth claim or just the propagation of falsehood about um, people. So my, my suspicion is that it's it's a it's likely to be a, a sensible recommendation that wouldn't change the current operation very much but might prove valuable in, in a small number of cases. Well, finally, to wrap up, um, I'm going to ask each of the panellists, in your opinion... When will we see the debate settle on 18C, Linda? Well, I, clearly this report hasn't done much to help settle it, uh, and nor has, I think, a lot of the submissions and so forth, and even the polling. And uh, um, I would just like to mention that the, the polling that Ian's referred to, even in their own polling, 36% disapproved of the change, while well, he says 48% approved. And in another poll that was uh, conducted that's referred to in the report that found that over 90% either strongly disagreed or um, or disagreed yeah, um, that people should be free to offend. Well, you know, there's polling and polling and there's yeah. questions. And when we talk about freedom of speech, I I think that coming back to your question, Nick, the, the, um, the debate around this uh, unfortunately doesn't, as I said, going back to what I was first saying, that freedom of speech means obviously means many different things to many different people. And clearly those with great... Um, opportunity to voice their opinion, uh, uh, I think, who are, are concerned about their freedom of speech, need to take care that, uh, that, that clearly there are far greater constraints on the most vulnerable members of our community. And it's their freedom of speech and expression that I think is being uh, hurt when you uh, allow or encourage offensive and a behaviour that does... Um, you know, that that clearly demeans us all, I think. And so, um, you know, have a good debate about freedom of speech, but don't just pull out this one provision that is clearly going to a matter of great concern for the most vulnerable members of our society. Simon, are we going to find a, uh, a happy medium ground anywhere? Um, oh, look, I think that's a great question and uh, not uh, not particularly a question um, I'm all that interested in. You know, I think, uh, of course, there's disagreement about this. Not not everyone's going to agree. Um, this is an issue, though, that is going to um, keep dogging the government and particularly a Liberal government um, for as long as Section 18C remains unreformed and for as long as we see cases like the Bolt case, like against the, uh, the, the Ashwood Uniting Church uh, against... QUT students against cartoonists in Australian newspapers. I think for as long as cases like that keep cropping up, Section 18C will be a problem. And it's worth noting that before any of these cases occurred, um, we were really talking about um, you know some sort of crazy ideas to do with Holocaust denial and, um, and a couple of other cases where um, there's really not much controversy. Um, as soon as Section 18C moved into the space of telling students what they can say on Facebook, of... Uh, telling newspapers what they can write and what they can draw. Um, I think we moved into a very, very controversial area and suddenly people were alive to the issues of of Section 18C and its restrictions on freedom of speech. So um, if changes can be made by the government which mean that those sorts of cases don't come up again, then Section 18C as as an issue, as a freedom of speech issue, will have been resolved. That's, that's, That's... um, essentially, I think the question that's before the Turnbull government, um, can they make changes to the law that will ensure that we don't see another one of these very high-profile cases? Professor Stone, final word from you. 
Two things. One is I think the proposed amendment that Simon's putting forward would, of course, uh, make uh, Holocaust denial in most of its forms uh, absolutely permissible. Um, uh, the second thing I would say is that I do think that sensible reform of the commission processes could deal with most of what have been the most problematic cases. So I'm actually a little bit optimistic that if that's the path that's taken, um, that we will have improved Section 18C while retaining its operation in critical cases. You've been listening to a special panel edition of Just Words, where, well, we attempted to unpack what this parliamentary report actually means for race laws in Australia. Thank you to our guests, Professor Adrian Stone, Simon Breeny and Dr Linda Tucker for some rather excellent ADNC punditry. And I think thank you to them because we have shed a tiny bit more light on exactly what all of this means. Now, if you like what you heard and want 2SER to continue making original podcasts, you can donate today or become a 2SER supporter just by heading to 2SER.com. And if this is the first episode of Just Words that you've listened to, head back to iTunes or your favourite podcast app and be sure to download episode one. It's called History Versus Denial, and uh, look, you're in for a treat with it. Now, next time on Just Words, we're going to be bringing you one of the most high-profile 18C cases out there. It's a case where conservative columnist Andrew Bolt accused nine fair-skinned Aboriginals of using their race for political and career clout. That episode will be out next Monday. This podcast was proudly made in the studios of 2SER 107.3. Finally, don't forget to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It's going to help other people find just words. See you back here next week. Just Just, just words. Just words. Finding the line between free speech and protecting the vulnerable. You can't say or do anything anymore. Otherwise you'll be dragged off to the law courts. Why is this the pressing issue of our time. 